This is Movies, a podcast by the Active Cinema, and with me today, wearing his character outfit, or part of it, from Mass State Lottery, is Hans as Devlin Cabrera. Actually, you know what's kind of funny? I, I was thinking to myself, you know, before the show, I should just tell Hans he should, he should do a Clint Eastwood impression for the entirety of the episode tonight. Do you think you could do that for us? Or just not talk or barely say anything and just look very serious. No, you got to do the Clint Eastwood voice and you got to scowl and say punk. Say chink a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you already the do that. Impression. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But hey, we do have Brendan back with us. Brendan, host of Tales from the Mall. Brendan, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm excited to be here. It's been too long. Absolutely. I think the what, what was the last show we did? Was it the Tokyo Vice show we did with uh, been, Cisco? Man. Yeah, yeah I, so. I, I, I'm not thinking of anything else. I, I think that came right after our program on uh, She Hate Me, which, by the way, I was thinking, because I just oh, bought this VC. What? Yeah, it, it was probably She Hate Me was after Tokyo Vice. Hmm. I think it might be. You know, I might be confused because our podcast queue for Spotify and Apple is not the recording order. And sometimes like... I just put out a show a couple of days ago on the movie My Son Hunter that we recorded, I think, in what, like September, Hans? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it just yeah, gets back moment. backlogged, and some things are more relevant than others, and you just force those out there. Uh, yeah, I think you might be right that She Hate Me actually comes after, but I don't know. I'd have to go and take a look. Um, we're going to be talking about Heat tonight, and I was tempted to pick up the, the double VHS cassette release of this movie. But instead, on the topic of She Hate Me, instead I got Malcolm X, Spike Lee's epic three-hour... By the way, uh, unfortunately, My Son Hunter was never relevant, apparently. <laughs> we thought it was going to be bigger than it was, and then it was such a piece of shit that no one actually cared. Yeah, people only cared about it for like two days. Brendan, did you see My Son Hunter? Do you watch <laughs> any of those like... Uh, I, you know, I hesitate to call it propaganda, but it is obviously propaganda, but they're just so over the top no i wish I, I i i'm kind of intrigued is it is this like a right wing um is it right wing or is it like oh yeah, oh, it, yeah. It, you know they were trying to do like a wolf of wall street thing with hunter biden but in a way mm -hmm. that's also informative to the viewer so they drop mm -hmm. in a bunch of like well you know here's all the russian collusion that occurred with the bidens and this and that and it just kind of i don't know it's incoherent and Hans, okay. how would you describe it? It stinks. <laughs> it's boring <laughs> and it should be fun because of, you know, how supposedly wild this character is, but it's just boring and bad. Does Kevin Sorbo play Joe Biden? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been that, an improvement, I think. The guy that, that you got rule. doesn't really, yeah. No, I mean, they, the guy who plays Biden is somebody. He doesn't, you know, see, here's the thing too. The guy who plays Hunter Biden it doesn't he's not like hunter biden at all but he's like a good actor he's actually good in the movie and the guy who plays joe biden is pretty good but uh you know it's littered with weird like cameos and co-stars like gina carano just decided to take a role there and she's talking to the camera and you can tell it's like all shot after they had done the movie itself um, she's like what is it she's like a driver or something and she just show up to be like isn't that shitty and then she goes off screen and he's like, what's the, what's the point? Of and there are sound there? cues like, wow, wow. Every yeah. time it, when she's talking, it's so peculiar. Um, this sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't say, um, uh, it, you know, it's really, it speaks to, I think 
um you, you know it's it's kind of a stupid thing and and frustrating when people like refer to party politics and uh like the republicans being controlled opposition and all that stuff but if they weren't controlled opposition, they would probably make more biting and interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. You know I what I mean? So. Like you, you look at that and they say, oh, the, oh the, they're setting these people up as clowns. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't it's, know. It's very, it's very difficult to take them seriously when that's what they put out. Uh, and uh, I think we had a, a really good discussion on that episode. Go check it out if you haven't, because we talk about how, um, it's it's sold as the opposite of Hollywood, but at the same time, they're trying to do kind of like the same thing. Like they don't really punch hard enough for it to feel like, oh, okay, so this is the opposite of what Hollywood does. So at the end, it just becomes bland and just like, all right, then what's the point of this existing? Well, the, point. the people who are right wing that work in show business, that work in film now, don't really seem to understand what they want to do, right? So you had... Uh, the Daily Wire acquired Bonfire Legend, and they tried to do a couple of films, which were just kind of like generic action or thriller movies. And uh, like the Western they did, I think was like fairly well done. I didn't have any gripes with that. It was just kind of, I guess, if I had one gripe, not particularly memorable. Um, but those don't make money compared to these documentaries that they keep dropping on whatever inflammatory subject so they're incentivized to keep doing more of that but that doesn't flip anybody that doesn't convert anybody and yeah. um you know not to get onto politics obviously we had an election this week and i watched the scott adams i i, I was kind of out on scott adams for a second because after You're 2020 still... he just seemed <laughs> loony to me he, he like broke because his prediction was wrong and he just started mm -hmm using the f word a lot saying fuck you to his audience and it's like why is this is gilbert's creator yeah. he doesn't talk He's like very that. Crazy. why is he talking like that yeah but he was like a mild-mannered kind of just smart reserved guy before then and then he got angry and i think his young wife left him yeah so uh personality turn but i watched a video of his uh today where he was essentially saying well the reason why the election turned out the way it did is because TikTok." is because women watch TikTok, single women watch TikTok. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter that these cities are, are decaying or anything like that. TikTok won the day. And I think there might be some truth to that in that it's a lot easier to go on autopilot politically and, and culturally if you're being fed entertainment that instructs you to just think a certain way, act a certain way, and then reassures you that there's comfort in that. Um, and I do think that's probably the, the ultimate problem as far as why these two things do not match is because for an entire atmosphere, you have my son Hunter. Yeah. So that sucks, dude. They should make a, my son Hunter TikTok video. They should, they should have released it like back in the day when you go on YouTube, it'd be like part one of 12 when you tried to watch a movie that way, that could have done something. <laughs> yeah um what was i gonna say oh yeah tiktok i think i think it actually should be illegal because um it just is i think it's too stimulating it's too addictive i agree i i don't have it on i don't have tiktok i can't no i, I it's just seeing me the... anyway but you know mm -hmm. just seeing the influence of it over on instagram where it's like you recommended all these reels oh yeah it's like you, you check out like one 
girl shaking her ass and suddenly that's your whole feed all of a sudden. Yeah. And then it's like obese women shaking their asses, you know? Sure. And that's sure. not really what I signed up for. That's, it's that's... obese men dressed like women shaking their asses. <laughs> just like, what? How do we get here? <laughs> well, what were we doing back in November when we were shooting Mass Day Live? We were talking into Jerry's phone to see if it influenced his Instagram results, and it did. Like I said, like Jack Nicholson four times, and then all of a sudden he was getting Jack Nicholson uh, results for the search feed. And then, I don't know. We did. I think we did more niche or specific things than that, and it also happened to pick up on it and then feed it into his Instagram. It was very uh oh wow dis discomforting yeah but um <clears throat> we are talking about a great film tonight we're talking about michael mann's heat uh this is not uh, a movie we've covered before we've covered a lot of michael mann films on this show we we did his entire 80s filmography with uh kid polaroid kyle miller and then we obviously did the um tokyo vice show with you and cisco and now we're getting into heat and also we heat also did two. miami vice yes that's right that's right. Um, and a little bit of L.A. Takedown, which is the 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 basis, the the seed of which heat was stemmed. So um, why don't we just get into the origin of, of your experience with heat? When did you first catch this movie? Because I'll tell you what, I, I for the longest time was avoiding heat for no particular reason. I was just such a big fan of. I had a particular idea in my head of what Michael Mann's style was because of Manhunter and um, Thief. And I didn't like the idea of checking anything out that would venture away from that because it was so specific, this idea. And I deliberately avoided his 90s work. As a matter of fact, I skipped over and I checked out the Miami Vice uh, remake, which we covered. And I only got around to Heat in 2020. So that's, that's very late. But it's generally considered, I think, one of the great crime films, um, maybe the best crime film of the 1990s. Uh, when did you discover Heat, Brendan? Oh, I'm sure it was when I was a, a young man and I like Al Pacino and Robert De Niro were like the most important people in my life, <laughs> you know, I, for some reason. And, um, uh, you know, that that scene where they're in the coffee shop, you know, that that was the first time they were ever on screen together. And, and that was important for me to see. Um, I didn't I, I saw it more recently because I uh, I bought the I bought the Blu-ray used and um, and I watched uh, I watched it and then I watched the commentary by Michael Mann and it's a really thoughtful commentary where he talks about the genesis of the characters and you know Neil McCauley he was a real guy and um, and and then um, and then I showed it to my dad who shockingly had never seen it even though he's like really into like that that boom you know that dad core mm. what i call dad core you know like you know movies that he showed me like godfather 2 and the deer hunter and and those kinds of things but he'd never seen it and i think he was really impressed with the acting i think he thought it was a little long um mm. i happen to think it's like the greatest movie ever made and um you know just an absolute work of art um well well just every scene um the composition the the um the planning and you can just tell it's and i'm not surprised that there's a rough draft of it in the form of la takedown because it's that it's that sharp you know like it's the kind of movie that would have a rough draft because because you that's an amazing thing that you have in a, in the form of la takedown this 
rough sketch of the movie that Michael Mann could have gone back and said, I like this. I don't like that. I want to add this. He actually had that work of art that he could look at and and fix. And I mean, for a made-for-TV movie, it's really good. It, if you were to watch it as a thing, like like if you told me it was made after Heat, you'd say this is a this is a parody or something, you know? Yeah. It's amazing. That's I, that's isn't it amazing it. though how how similar some of the 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 way that the actors sound, the rhythm. The way they speak is so similar to Heat, you know, like that scene where the where the guy who eventually becomes the Danny Trejo character, Trejo, yeah, and he, right. Um, uh, he sounds exactly like Danny Trejo when he's lying on the floor and saying those lines. It, it it's pretty uncanny. Well, the the guy that plays the Pacino character kind of sounds like him too, uh, even though it came out what six years before Heat uh it, it, at, at times yeah it sounds like he's just doing a pacino impression like i agree i, I didn't know that that uh well I, I i had no idea what um la takedown was uh laura's just said oh it's it's a it's a twofer so you have to watch this too and i was like all right i don't i don't know what it is i just assumed it was another michael mann movie and then it started and i was like hold on this is just it's the same movie. <laughs> it's like the same movie with more mullets uh yeah. that, that's the, the biggest difference uh and then yeah the characters just for whatever reason, sounds sound a lot like what we end up getting with Heat uh, six years later. So I think the story with L.A. Takedown was that was going to be his third procedural crime series, right? Didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And was it re-edited as a TV movie or was that just the pilot, the basis of what they were going to go at? Like, I know with Crime Story, Brendan, have you ever seen Crime Story? I have I saw the pilot, yeah. Yeah, the I mean the pilot is probably the best of it. That was directed by Abel Ferrara, I believe. Um, it's uh, you know Abel Ferrara directed that pilot and showcases it at like exhibits as a film. He thinks of it as a film, but obviously it was used to launch what came after. And I thought Crime Story, at least season one, and especially the earlier episodes in season one, is pretty solid television. And it's, I guess by the time L.A. Takedown uh, hit, Michael Mann had just kind of expended his worth in the television medium to that point after, I think it was something like four or six years of Miami Vice, Crime Story being on the air for two years. Uh, people were kind of done, I guess. And it didn't take, which is a good thing because then he goes and does Blast the Mohegans and everything else he does in the 1990s. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've seen bits and pieces where it's, um, you know, a comparison, side-by-side -side comparison between Heat and L.A. Takedown, and it really does seem one-for-one one, uh, between Absolutely. the two. It's also, I was very impressed by the uh, shootout scene, because if, if this was done as a pilot or as a TV movie, uh, there's a lot of bullets and a lot of violence that happens. So I was not expecting that from a TV movie, and you can oh. tell that this was done what in the late 80s early 90s because of the tone that it has uh something that you definitely could not do now uh if you watch the procedurals that you get today everything is so sanitized and they don't go there uh and this just feels like a completely out of a a different uh time i guess uh, oh really have is, you watched but, chicago but... pd hans have you seen chicago pd yeah, I don't even know that is L LA, la takedown is no stump town with <laughs> molders or... <laughs> 
it's now uh walker the remake or prequel the reboot. walker yeah whatever that is they they did a what a series with like his kids or something with jared like padalecki who you frequently yeah. get comparisons to which is crazy because yeah. he's got luscious locks and you have nothing yep. the great jared <laughs> padalecki of gilmore girls that's right yeah yeah you know, I started watching Gilmore Girls just abruptly, I think last year or the year before that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I stopped and I just didn't finish. I don't know. Dawson's Creek was the same thing. I was all in on those early WB shows just out of the blue last year. Dawson's Creek is pretty good. It is good. It was much better than I was expecting it to be for something that I averted um, my entire life, especially as a teenage boy. I turned that on. I was like, oh, this is actually kind of like well-written. All right. The reruns, the reruns were were the talk of the town when I was in high school. Mm. Like everybody was watching those. I start worrying when you tell me that you started rewatching Seventh Heaven or, or something. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're very getting pretty close to that. Great show. I thought, you, I thought you were going to say because you're going to have to watch that at some point for us to do a retrospective yeah. episode. Well, on that it. too. Yeah. Dawson's no. Creek. You could do a little trade. You could get burnt. You could watch Burn Notice. Although I, I expect you've already done that. Well, we we cover Burn Notice the movie for what was it episode two hundred? Yeah, yeah. That's all you've seen, right? No, I, no. I went and I watched the pilot for that episode too. Okay. So I'm not completely unversed on on Burn Notice, uh, but I have no intention of continuing Burn. Notice. Well, I'll watch it. I'll watch at least some of it before Hans's. Um, nice. Yeah. appearance on tales from the mall <laughs> hell yeah we can talk about burn notice the whole time <laughs> yeah yeah they you know i just found out that they did a sequel to r.i.p.d that failed uh was it jeff bridges and was it ryan reynolds yep. movie and they replaced wow. the both of them uh with burn notice with the guy from burn notice michael weston yeah. so he's he he plays them that's he a sequel. R.I.P.D. Yep. <laughs> Burnout is playing R.I.P.D. too. Uh, I name. found that on on the go to torrent site when I was looking at the Aqua Teen movie. I, oops, How was that? That, out. that was actually, I'll tell you what, the Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie was uh, better than I was expecting it to be. Not like good as a movie, but the humor didn't change at all in 15 years. So, you know, I hate when they do that comedy revival thing where it's like, all right, now. You know, this is a man out of his time. We got to explain his big character behaviors because they're very un-PC and kind of be self-referential to that. They don't do that. They just tell the same old jokes. And That's uh, good. I, I appreciated that. It well, like, integrity. What, what, like, what, have, for what have they done that? Like, um, you know? Uh, what, like stuck by their guns, essentially? No, their... no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just trying to think like, when they like resurrect a character or whatever, then they got to make him seem, you know, they got to, well, they, they got to explain it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. what's the, didn't they what? do, they do wonder years, but now the family is black and he's like, Oh, look at all the races. Well, that's that that's not the with. same. That's not quite the same. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the great thing about the new wonder years is that Fred Savage got fired from it for, I think hitting on an intern or something. He wound up getting me too'd. Uh, mm. Little Fred Savage. Why even yeah. be in the business? Yeah, exactly. You know, there's a great story about him being on the Wonder Years as a child and uh, talking down to the makeup lady and being like, yeah, so we're getting dinner tonight, right? Or else you're fired. Like he was pulling that shit as a boy. Hell yeah. I mean, with that last name, he has to, right? Yeah, I get it. Hell yeah. <laughs> and then 
what, 10 years later on Boy Meets World, he's basically playing that character. He's playing like the pervy professor trying to get with Topanga. And they played that as a story. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I got confused there for a second. I was like, no, he was the kid. But no, that was his brother. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, Heat. Something I forgot about with Heat was just how stacked this cast is. Uh, yeah, unreal. It's all over the map. You have uh, just a, a wide swath of, of stars in this Henry movie. Henry Rollins. Playing. Yeah, he, he popped up and I was just... Like wow, I completely bl blotted out that he was in this movie. Same with Jeremy Piven as the the doctor who's patching mm -hmm. up Val Kilmer. Uh, this is something that, you know, Christopher Nolan obviously aped the oh the entire thing for Dark Knight, right? But that is something that he does as well, uh, putting like a known quantity in a completely pointless role in his sure. movies like the guy from reno 911 i think pops up as a doctor in dark knight rises for two seconds what is it tom tom lennon i think his tom name lennon, is yeah. oh hank yeah Azaria plays a guy that fucks in this i was like wait a second oh, he's yeah. the hank Azaria. homer apu is is the, the guy that fucks in this pretty pretty cool but yeah every for the first what half hour maybe 45 minutes uh every new scene you're just like oh shit oh well i was like this i was just like oh that's Oh, I recognize that face. Hey, it's the guy from the insurance commercials. Uh, there was just a lot of just, yeah, recognizable face. Little Natalie Portman is in it. She's very annoying in it. But yeah, I, it was just, I, I was not expecting such a stack cast. I haven't seen this movie in like 20 the years. The shitty so. stepdad from Terminator 2. Ralph, he plays in this movie. Did he's, either well, he's Wayne Grow in the, he's Wayne Grow in LA Takedown. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they bring him back. He's one of the few guys, maybe the only guy they bring bring back from LA Takedown. Hmm. And yeah, um, I didn't catch that. You get that guy. Well, so so here's the thing that I recalled this last time I watched Heat. You've got that guy William Fick. Is it William Fickner? Mm -hmm. I think uh, the, yep. the insurance guy. Yeah, Ben Zandt. He, he's in the opening scene of Dark Knight. That's right. Yeah, and that's just, that's that makes the Heat connection extremely explicit. Because mm -hmm. that that opening scene in Dark Knight is just like a Heat is the heat tribute um scene it absolutely is he he was absolutely he was trying to go one for one with heat and um visually i mean aside from like the shootout he, he i mean no he actually doesn't get close he like dark knight's a good looking movie but michael mann just has so much creative genius with how he styles his shots and um something that i find to be the case with probably all of nolan's films is that his dialogue is always very surface level. You know, it's always like people stating the most generic shit for the most part. Um, and Michael Mann has like a good method of, to some degree, capturing how people speak. Maybe that's just not a priority for somebody like Christopher Nolan. I haven't seen Tenet, though, by the way. Maybe that changes with that. Maybe it's very uh, George V. Higgins-esque. I doubt it. But... Well, anyway. maybe Christopher Nolan has like even more autism than Michael Mann. Yeah. <laughs> is there anyone in Is there anyone in Hollywood that has a thicker neck than Henry Rollins? That was the first thing I noticed. I was like, this man's head and neck are the same width. It's just like a Lego person. He totally is a Lego person. I also forgot that John Voight was in this movie, and John Voight has this quiet it. sinisterness to his character. 
It's gross. Uh, it's very scaly face. Kind of reminds me of Revolver Ocelot from the Metal Gear Solid games. I think I got that character's name right. It's been like 25 years since I played that. But he's got that kind of look to him. Um, one of the few people to get out of the movie clean. So yeah. um, he gets out of the whole uh, thing. Yeah. Because in he too, he's he makes it to the end of the book. Can we spoil in this show? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is it Tex? Is that the character's name? John Boyd? I would have to Nate. Nate, Nate. right. Nate. Nate, Yeah. And he he makes it to the end. He's he's like and and so shockingly, so does um uh Chris Shaherlis. The character played by Val Kilmer. Yeah. Mm. So, what is he too about? Like after we end well, he here, too, where he too you is have both that... prequel and sequel. Yeah, and you oh, get okay. you get before, you get after, and you know I found that Heat Two takes not just it it you know it's a sequel to Heat, but it kind of also feels like he's revisiting his '80s tracks a bit, where you have like sex crimes and whatnot. You get a little bit of that in Heat, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but it is much more explicit and delved into, uh, with that book where it feels almost like a, a slight in the world of like something like Manhunter mm-hmm. a bit, um, which I appreciated. Now, Brendan, did you read it proper or did you listen to the audiobook like I did? I listened to the very good audiobook as read by Peter Giles, mm-hmm. who does a great Al Pacino impression. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> he does a very good job. It's not over the top. It's, it doesn't feel like, you know, somebody I mean, yeah. doing an SNL style impression. It's just subtle enough. He had um, to do it though. Mm-hmm. That's probably why they cast him because he could, he could deliver that sort of cadence. Um, you know, somebody wrote a review and I had this in my head at points as I was listening to it saying, ah, this audiobook's horrible. Cause he sounds like a movie trailer guy. And oh, so yeah. during like the more action packed sequences where it's like, there's an explosion or something in the cars, whatever. Um, I had that in my head and it almost spoiled it for me. Like, oh yeah, this does kind of sound like coming soon to a theater yes. near you. Read by Pablo Francisco. Well, I read a bunch of like commentary about the book uh, um, and the audio book on Reddit <laughs> of all places. And um, yeah, somebody brought up that he sounded like a movie trailer guy. They brought up the fact that that... Um, Oh geez, the character who is the um, he's like he becomes a pimp, and he was um he was both a a home invasion, you know um, you know home invasion thief, but also sex criminal. What was the character's name? I forget, but I thought it was going to be Wayne Grow, um, at the beginning of the book. Like this is the origin story of Wayne Grow. But it turned out to not be. It just turned out to be like a even like worse Wayne Grow type mm-hmm. guy. Um, uh, and you get backstory about Neil McCauley and why he has his um you know his uh, life philosophy in the movie of you know not getting attached, lest you know the heat be around the corner, mm-hmm. lest lest mm-hmm. you feel the heat around the corner. Which, by the way, I should say I live my life with the heat constantly around the corner and i'm fine but um but but as it turns out he had a mexican girlfriend and you know she died yeah and and uh, somebody pointed out in that in heat um he explains it differently 
that that he learned that philosophy in prison. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't catch the the inconsistency there, but it well, also neither did I, and I I don't much care. No, I don't think it goes against his character. I mean, that that feels in line that he wouldn't open up in a sort of personal way with anybody. I mean, even with this girl who's in the movie, it's like a very forced relationship, and you get the vibe just from his like dinner where everybody's mm -hmm. having a, a blast with their significant other. He's just like, I guess I'm supposed to do this, right? And so he yeah. phones her up and is like, yeah, I guess it wasn't a one-night stand for me either. And he just strings her along, I think, because he feels like I have to have something other than this. Right. And at the end of it, no, he doesn't. He doesn't have anything other than Just like Al Pacino, really, debatably. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's actually true for his character, even though he thinks it's true. Um, yeah you know, has this limited scope of what is right for, for that life, for him, for yeah. that character. Well, but, but a, a thing that the book does well to explaining motivation in the movie is the, the fact that his girlfriend, you know, that his Mexican girlfriend that he had before the events of the movie was killed by like the Wayne Grove type character. Mm. Make, you know, it makes, makes it make more sense that he goes back and kills Wayne Grove and heat. Right. You know, I, I completely um, agree. I mean, he, I wouldn't say that his character at the beginning of the film, he uh, doesn't have like this sort of developed sense of, um, of, I don't know, like a, a sense of justice that's logical for what his career is. Right. Mm -hmm. I, there's obviously a code that he has in place as far as that goes, yeah. but this sort of last minute compulsion to right or wrong or something, it doesn't feel out of step with the character, but I think it reinforces his decision to do that uh, mm -hmm. much better. Well, and and one thing about uh, one thing about the like the kind of like the super practicality of Neil Macaulay, who's like, like you know how they've got that the, in the middle of the film, they're they're taking the score, you know, and it's a uh, they're just like, you know, um, it's like a break in, mm -hmm. you know, it's not a heist. And they, and they just kill the score in the middle of it and just walk away, you know, that kind of like super practical, like, I, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll give up everything if I feel danger. Like it's not, it's something aspirational, but, but, you know, a, a human being can, is still a human being, even if they have a code and, and, and so it makes sense even without the backstory from heat Two. For him to say like fuck this wayne grow guy like he fucked me really badly and like i want to kill him you know mm. um they play it a lot that's that's one of the big improvements in the story uh of heat versus la takedown in la takedown he goes back to kill wayne grow wayne grow shoots him through the door and vincent hannah shows up at the last minute and he dies and and it's better that vincent hannah kills him yeah oh yeah that that was my biggest issue i think with la takedown that it takes away a lot from their relationship you know you have that whole scene also at the the cafe when where they're talking to each other and it kind of like a cat and mouse type of thing but then the fact that at the end he gets shot by someone else and then we have a happy ending with the pacino and a mullet character it felt kind of uh i don't know kind of very cheesy and very unearned uh and, and then when you watch Heat and you have that little bromance moment at the end where they're like, I got you. And, and he just, you know, dies there. It's a lot more impactful than 
than just seeing him, you know, walk out of the uh, hotel with his wife or whatever it is that happens. And it's just a, a whatever ending there. Yeah. yeah. And I think maybe this is just my own reading into that. My interpretation is around the time that, uh, you know, Natalie Portman, his stepdaughter, uh, winds up trying to off herself, even though um, Neil McCauley has taken out a number of uh, Hannah's colleagues in that gunfight, it kind of just feels like he doesn't want to go after him. Like he doesn't want to add to the body count. Like he's checked out. He wants an excuse, but it's just not in him to do that. Ultimately, uh, I, you know, not comparable at all, but sometimes I'll get into a mood like that. Like, fuck it. I'm not going to correct this, this thing in this edit or something. I'm just not going to do it. I, I don't care. I'm going to move on to it. And then I'll go watch TV or something for like 20 minutes. I'll just be like, I gotta, I gotta go back and fucking correct that edit. I gotta, I gotta fix it right now. And I think that's like a similar pathology to this character where it's like, I want to be here and do this, but I got to go. I just got to go get that. I'll be right back. I'll be, I'll, it'll take me five minutes. I'll be right back. <laughs> and that's, that's what he's all about. Um, and he does it. And it is a much more uh, climactic conclusion than this very ratty, shitty, evil character getting one over at the last minute. Yes. Yeah. Uh, is Wingro also a Nazi in, in LA Takedown? Because I feel like that's not much of the focus. I don't think I no. Okay, because no. I on on Heat when he's with that prostitute, that the underage prostitute that he kills, and he's just chilling there with his shirt off, and you see the eagle and the swastika and everything. And I was like, wait a second, well, I didn't. There's another layer of evil with this guy that we didn't well, see until that. That might I mean, just that, be prison task. That's right? a prison. I mean, that's definitely an accuracy for you know. You know, Michael Mann had spent a lot of time interviewing um, prisoners of Folsom at the state prison in, in California, and uh, and 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 knew this the real this there was a real guy Neil McCauley. He was a a heist guy from Chicago and and ended up being killed by a police officer, a Chicago police officer, I believe, very similar to like the Vincent Hanna character. By the way, in the book um vincent hannah in the prequel the, you know there's so there's a segment hans that takes place before the events of heat quite a bit it, it's divided into two kind of parts Ch chicago pre the events of the movie um neil mccauley and his crew are in chicago they're doing a score and uh and in the meantime vincent hannah the al pacino character is a police officer in the chicago police department and he's chasing after this home invader who also commits sex crimes. The home invader hears about a score that the Macaulay crew is doing in Mexico, stealing money from a drug cartel. They steal the money from the drug cartel and this Wayne Grow style character, for Christ's sake, I can't remember his name. Um, he takes their score and kills Macaulay's girlfriend. Okay, so then it jumps ahead past the events of Heat. Neil Macaulay is dead. Vincent Hanna is now a police officer in Los Angeles, and um, and he's trying to find this new, this this Wayne Grow, um, the super Wayne Grow character, is now in Los Angeles himself, and Vincent Hanna is hunting him. Well, m meanwhile, the Val Kilmer character, Chris Chaherlis, has gone to Paraguay and has ingratiated himself with these Chinese Paraguayans, and he and he starts um, and he has basically has a his girlfriend is this 
super smart Asian lady, like crazy smart, you know, basically genius level IQ, um, who he he starts a romance with and ultimately never gets back together with his family because he's with this woman and they're doing and they're and that was a confusing thing. Um, and may, maybe you agree, Jay, of what exactly they it was that they were up to, like trying to they, they were doing something with defense technology. Mm -hmm. But that that was that was probably the least interesting part of the book was this Shaherless with this Asian woman and you know, I think Michael Mann likes the Asian lady. Yeah, I was just going to say, leave it to Michael Mann <laughs> to have that component in every single one of, I mean, now it's cross-medium. Yeah, Miami Vice, where Colin Colin Farrell is with the, uh, the this that's the same character, right? That Chinese woman from Miami Vice, that's the woman who's in. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> like. And then you have Tokyo Vice, where all of them are like that. Miami Vice, Tokyo Vice, Heat 2, Black Hat. Does like uh, Christian Bale or Johnny Depp have like a secret Chinese railroad worker they're sleeping with in Public Enemies or, or what's I, I don't know I feel like I'm missing one here. But <laughs> well, yeah, we're now we're just gonna get straight straight Michael Mann Asian <laughs> pornography. Michael Mann W W M A F uh, filmography. That'll be <laughs> that'll be a future show. No, yeah, it'll just be called W M A F. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you what do you think about the fact that Michael Mann and he, who knows if he'll actually do this um, wants to do an adaptation of his own book? Do you think he wrote? Do you think he wrote a significant amount of the book? It definitely feels like Michael Mann, and script. even if it's yeah, I, I I think maybe he did like a long outline or something, and she wrote the bulk of it. But it feels I don't know. It just feels very Michael Mann compared to most tie-in books or like an author or rather a filmmaker venturing into the the author's medium totally well, well who is meg gardner like do do we are we supposed to know who this is or or does she does she have a reputation why her you know hans uh, so you want to take a look at that is she just an asian yep. woman by uh, any chance no. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's white <laughs> uh 14 published novels, including five in the Evan Delaney series, four in the Joe Beckett series, hmm. and I think called Unsub. Uh, let me see. Oh, Random, yeah. Ransom River, The Shadow Tracer, Phantom Instinct. That doesn't yeah, I, I haven't me. heard I of the theory. Joe Beckett trilogy or whatever the hell you were talking about there. I don't think that's high literature. What is that, like a PI series or something? I can't wait. Uh, to... No, it's a, it's a forensic psychiatrist from San Francisco. Mm. Uh, All right. Well, yeah. Lourdes, what what did you think of the book? I thought, it, you know, I really enjoyed it more than I was expecting to. But it was also uh, difficult to get through in mm -hmm. some parts. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I found myself more in tune with a lot of Hannah's backstory and um, the detailing of the home invaders mm -hmm. and not so much Neil Macaulay, which would probably be the opposite with the film. I think I was more in tune to the Neil Macaulay character uh, in Heat, the movie, mm -hmm. than I yeah. was in the book. Uh, and maybe that's just because, you know, the audiobook narrator could do like a good Al Pacino impression, not pick up on the synchronicities to De Niro's voice, maybe. I don't know. But um, overall, you know, especially for what it is, 
it's kind of silly calling a book like Heat 2 or, you know, just going along with that. It feels very old man-ish in a way, just like not even thinking about it like that. But um, at the same time, I do think it would probably be dismissed if you did like Heat colon the early years or, what you know, some, some subtitle yeah. like that. There's not as much excitement and fire around that. Uh, but it, I thought it was good. I thought it was actually very well written and um, certainly more compelling than a lot of crime novels that I've read that have been published in the last like 15 or 20 years. Yeah. So um, I would be cautiously optimistic about seeing what that adaptation would look like. I'm not a big fan of, you know, he's talking about casting Timothy Chalamet, I think is the, the Hannah character. That's insane. Yeah. That's not who I would pick. You should um, get me to do it. Yeah. I would do the Vincent Hanna, no problem. I'll be Neil McCauley. You be Vincent Hanna. That'd be sick. It, you know, the irony of me being Neil McCauley. Yeah, well, um, yes, is <laughs> your name. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, I th you know, I thought, I thought that was, I thought that was a fake name. I think when we were doing, um, Isolation Chamber, I was mm -hmm. like, did, is he, well, I know he loves this, this movie and the character. I'm like, is this just like, am I going to call myself like, uh, low res? I don't know, Hans, give me a character I like, quick. Uh, I don't know, Loris Bateman? I don't even like Loris Patrick Bateman that much. He would be the first. Yeah. Loris Hitler. Yeah, Timothy Chalamet. No, thank you. I, I the book the book is is took me a long time to get through. It's it's dense. It I mean the audio book is what like 14 hours or something that's yeah. that's no joke um, yeah so it took me a week or so to i think like get through half of it uh it is it is a tall order but it is very entertaining um hans yeah. do you have any interest in checking checking out heat 2 the book or or a potential adaptation with timothy Chalamet? I... I tried doing an audiobook with the keep and I just, I just another Michael I, Mann adaptation. Yeah, I just I, I don't have the attention span to follow a story like that. So I would just get distracted and then when I realize that two hours have gone by and I have no idea where I'm at in the book. Uh so that, that's why I can't uh do audiobooks. Um I was doing a little bit of digging here on, on Meg Gardner and her last series uh that she published from 2017 to 2020 is three books of a series called Unsub, and it's about a detective trying to catch the Zodiac killer. Mm. Uh, so maybe that's where you know the relation comes from, or where he thought he she would be a good person to write it with, because uh, it's kind of well. Similar, he's somebody who takes extra measures before getting into any of these subjects that I think a lot of filmmakers and authors treating kind of like a willy-nilly fashion like even as far as uh thief went his first mm -hmm. theatrical film um he consulted actual jewel thieves and home invaders to make sure that everything was legitimate and read as legitimate on screen and uh i know that was the case for um some other films including heat and la takedown as well he wants to consult those like seedier people to mm -hmm. make sure that it's all going to register as the real deal. So there must be something about her books that has an authenticity to it, even if, um, you know, I'm being dismissive because she writes detective series or whatever um, in novels. So 
But then again, maybe not. Maybe he might have like the Stephen King syndrome of not being able to detect good art in spite of being a great artist. You know, it could be that. That's possible. I mean, it, you know, it, it could just be a pure, um, you know, it was just like a good fit. Like they had a good relationship, you know, um, I, I, I was talking to Max Thrax, the author of God is a Killer about Heat 2 and he hadn't read it, but he read some excerpts and he was making fun of the writing. Um, oh, he wasn't a fan. No, no. I, and I I thought it was, um, it must have been insanely well-researched. I mean, like all of that jar, all that stuff about Paraguay and like mm -hmm. the Asians living there and all that stuff about the technology and of course the guns, the details about the guns. And I'm wondering if that was Michael Mann. I mean, I feel like that had, I, I feel like it yeah. was probably, I don't know how, how the writing process worked, but it, it just feels too his style I agree. to be, you know, a ghostwriter kind of job. I don't think both of their names would be on it if that wasn't the case. Maybe, maybe she, you know, it's entirely possible that she might have did an initial draft and then he went in there and just started punching everything up after maybe giving her an outline or something just going back and forth in that kind of process yeah i you know the 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 language of the book is very plain spoken it feels like how a screenwriter but not like a screenwriter by trade would write a script which yeah. is just kind of very tactical utilitarian and not flowery with language if you read like a Shane Black script or something before he started directing, you know, he gets real cute with it. He gets very, and now we're going to do this and, you know, whatever. Um, I think that's, that's fine to a degree, but you know, I, what, what was, what script was I reading recently? Uh, oh, the day the clown cried, the unreleased Jerry Lewis film. Oh yeah. I'm very, I'm very excited about, um, what was it like national film archive doing a screening of this movie in 2024. And I wanted to see what the deal was, you know? And so I started posting about it and someone sent me a copy of the script, which I guess was online. And um, it's just like, you know, the script was written, I think in the early 1960s by like, um, by a couple. And uh, Jerry Lewis did uh, a one over of the script, but their version of it, it's just so dense and flat. It reads like a novel almost. And then you get to the dialogue and you know, people had like a funny way of screenwriting back in the 60s. It's like someone's yelling and it's three exclamation points in a row. It's like talking to like a very hyperactive like girl or something, you know. Um, <laughs> it's, it just reads, yeah, it's like this is a Nazi prison guard, you know, <laughs> and it's just it, it reads funny. Um, but yeah, I, I can see why, you know, Max might have a problem with that since he's a crime writer, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I get that. But, I mean, it's easy for me to be able to parse that away and just accept the, the story on its own terms. And I don't think it was, like, egregious or anything. Uh, maybe some, some, like, cheesy action movie-style lines or whatever. But, sure. uh, you know, what do you expect for Heat 2? So Yeah. Um, early in the book, um, Vincent Hanna kills a guy, kills an informant like throws him off a building that's that was a pretty crazy part of the book mm -hmm. 
Uh, you know, what was crazy part of heat when he was hugging that African-American mother uh, very aggressively. And then he was like, yeah, take her <laughs> to, <laughs> to her family. That yeah. that made me chuckle. Yeah. Well, that Vincent Han is a hard motherfucker. <laughs> like he's a hard motherfucker. He is um, he's a man who's highly motivated. And um, and doesn't have much of a life outside of um investigating crime which mm. you know that's why he's got uh you know s several marriages behind him mm -hmm. including but, the one with the lady from heat and, yeah. and, and his stepdaughter he cites that as his third marriage i do think hannah maybe out of any of his cop characters has the most personality because usually michael mann's mo is um this man is just going to be drained by his job and completely right. void of personality and just on his last leg like the character in um manhunter sure. uh, will graham will graham is just a complete void of a human um by the time he starts the the case on the tooth fairy and i think you see you know similar aspects of that even with um you know the miami vice remake to a degree where the colin farrell character has this kind of stoic nature to him that's more in line with the neil mccauley character of heat than somebody who's very big and cartoonish like al pacino's hannah yeah you get you could get killed out walking your doggy um <laughs> he's uh he's so funny um he's not as funny in the book he doesn't mm. have as many he doesn't have as many classic lines do you think that was just Pacino riffing on the set? It's possible. Just... I mean, it's dude, Al Pacino's amazing. Um, I, I've been talking to my brother about Al Pacino a lot lately because there were a couple things that I thought. One, okay, so in the um, in in Heat, where he's like he's like singing like Glenn Campbell, he's singing by the time I get to Phoenix or whatever. I was wondering, has he ever heard a, like, has Al Pacino heard pop music before, like? Here's what I'm I'm just imagining a guy who like sits around and reads Shakespeare all day because, you know, he's like a big Shakespeare guy. And yeah, he made that uh, movie about uh, Richard the third. That's right. Yeah. Um, um, I've heard some weird stories about Al Pacino that I would not have placed onto him. Like f the, f the first one that kind of caught me so by surprise. And this could be telling tales out of school. I don't know if this is true or not, is that he's like 80 years old, right? But yeah. I hear he's a completely functioning heroin addict at 80 years old. Oh, shit. That's impressive. Yeah. And I, that's from somebody who firsthand worked on a set with him. I don't know if it's true. Maybe he was just in the mood for, for a batch one day. I don't know. But that, I hope it's true. I, 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 it would I be very why. interesting if true. I, I mean, you could almost see it a little bit, but I don't, I don't know. It seems, it seems too crazy. I don't know. Yeah, I know. That is crazy. Uh, the other thing, which is verifiable, is he does the Vincent Gallo thing of directing films and never releasing them. Wow. So he has films and documentaries and things that he has shot, he has edited, and has no intention of showing to the public. He'll show them to, privately to people, but that's about it. Well, so those are two things that I that's know. That's his privilege, you know. Yeah, about um, Pacino's personal life just about vincent gallo you know i know that i know where he lives like i know where he lives here in arizona Your neighbors Ooh, sounds yeah. like a threat and uh, <laughs> hey, vincent, 
I know where you live. Okay. <laughs> I know where you live. No, I, I we have two pieces of information now. Loris owns his owns his pants and you know where he lives. I, I know kind of where so he lives. We... I think Vincent Gallo is like um does he have relationships? Uh what I mean from the event that I went to, I'm not allowed to speak of certain things, but I'm gonna speak of it anyway. Fuck it. We're in the an hour and ten minutes into a show that Vincent Gallo is going to listen to, please. Uh, he, tell him. Don't he, tell him. He, he well, you you want to just text it and I'll say it? Yeah. Since I didn't sign anything? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I don't think so. I'll I'll, I'll spill the beans. He showed up with a date who seemed to be like um, a blonde woman in her late 30s. And in the middle of the Q&A, he seemed to be more interested in a girl who had asked a question named Lily who was about 20 years old and said, hi, Vincent, my name's first girl, first person to introduce themselves during the Q&A besides Vincent. Mm -hmm. uh, hi, I'm Lily, I'm 21, 22, I'm a filmmaker. I just wanted to ask you. And then she asked her question. And then, you know, some like frumpy girl asked a question later and uh, Gal was like, well, you know what Lily was saying before <laughs> and yeah, after I the show, um lily approached him and was like hey do you want to like grab a drink or something and he doesn't do anything he doesn't drink smoke uh he's vegan you know he's like ah well how about we go get a glass of water together so he's wow he's scoring you know and um somebody who um we've had on here before ston of sewer city tv mm -hmm. has a dick photo from vincent gallo because his ex-girlfriend or some female friend hit up Gallo on Instagram and they were getting busy on the world wide web. So Amazing. he's, he's, he's 61 or something, but he's acting like a 25 year old. Hmm. So that's what that's he's up to. Privilege. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the other thing that I was talking about was probably somebody had to explain to Al Pacino what football was before <laughs> on a given Sunday. <laughs> Uh, what do you think about that movie by the way i, really I got on it. i got on an oliver stone kick um right around the end of 2020 and i just watched a whole lot of his movies that i had never seen in any given sunday uh was one of the last movies in that that batch that i had checked out and um for somebody who has no interest in football i thought it was pretty entertaining i really like it who really? do you think who do you think explained to pacino what a Doncacino is <laughs> from that <laughs> what from movie is that though well yeah. that would have that would have had to have been adam sandler himself i would expect <laughs> yeah um you know what something, al pacino something i got while watching heat on this go around is i really like the idea of because they've been talking about doing this for ages and we'll see if it actually happens i kind of feel like it's only a matter of time um they want to do a colombo reboot right oh shit I think Pacino would be a terrific choice now that he's older and slower, but he's still sharp uh, to play that character. Yes. I'm just kind of trying to picture it, but well, I think it sounds great. I, I'm picturing him as like his Jewish caricature from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sure. You know, kind of just like hunched up like this. He's got bad posture now. He's almost 85. Uh, I could see it. I can imagine that. God, that or what be, that would look like. I mean, he's a whole what twenty years older than like Columbo, you know, like, than Peter Falk was. 
Peter Falk looked old, though. Yeah, I mean, it, Peter Falk was doing episodes of Columbo until 2003, and I think Jesus he was Christ. in his mid oh, to late wow. 70s at that point. And his last episode, I think, was uh, Columbo Loves the Dance Floor, and it was him investigating a rave. It's yeah. a horrible episode. One of my favorite episodes is one he did in the 90s where he goes to college. Columbo goes to college. This yes. is a classic episode. Yes. Love that episode. Um, that's that's a good one. I, I like, uh, you know, the 90s episodes get, they, so the 70s episodes have like a very serious kind of um, procedural television back then was very well written when it was done in like increments. So something like Columbo or, or Kolchak or whatever. Um, it, it was always well done. And then the 80s, they do the revival, right? And I think the quality is mostly maintained, but by the early 90s, late 80s or so, you know, it becomes this kind of cheesy, almost like CSI style uh, version of Columbo. And so mm. you get some very entertaining episodes out of that run. And one of my uh, favorites is they bring back William Shatner as a radio show host. And he has like a really off-putting mustache that doesn't look right on his face. And uh, he, he plays very over-the-top style like, I think he's like a conservative talk show host, like a Rush Limbaugh type of guy on the show. Mm. That one's pretty good, too. How tall is Vincent um, Gallo? You know, uh, I couldn't tell if he was wearing boots or something at the event, but he seemed reasonably tall. I thought he was like 5'10 or 5'11. I see. Which I, I always thought he was like a 5'9, 5'7 kind of guy. Oh, but, yeah, I was kind of hoping he'd be 5'7, you know? Mm hmm. Just because I'm trying to style myself as kind of the next Vincent Gallo, you yeah. know. <laughs> Is that right? Well, you got the Arizona thing going, right? So yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we're gonna run into each other one day. He he lives down in Tucson, mm -hmm. but um, but that's where my parents live. So I'm down there all the time. So uh, just hang I'll... out around like a bunch of post office PO boxes, and sure. you might you might see him because he's constantly trading parts on eBay and whatnot. I do have the address to his P.O. box. I could, you know, if you just wanted to like wait there, only okay, be a matter of time. <laughs> man, I don't, man, if I was Vincent Gallo, I wouldn't trust you as far as I could throw you. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck, dude? You're giving up all of his shit. I know. Um, what is that? I'm sorry. I had to. Let me just show you the the mustache that William. Yeah, it's horrible. Oh my God. It's really bad. What it looks like hell? a Mickey Rourke mustache now. Dude, the Columbo yeah. villains are all so fucking good. Do you have a particular favorite, the, Brendan? I mean, um, I'm thinking of uh, was um, there was this one. Do you remember that episode where um, where that's like a guy kills um, it, Mickey Spillane is in it as a crime writer, mm. and some like agent who whose contract is running out with Mickey Spillane kills him. While he's dictating his novel, uh, that guy is really good. See, I don't know. I don't know their names. I mean, obviously Leonard Nimoy was was excellent. Um, Johnny Cash is uh, his episode is pretty well known. I think he's pretty good. He plays like a gospel Christian country singer guy. Uh, this is going to be predictable, but my favorite villain is Cassavetes for the season two premiere. Oh, that's the one. That's the one. John Cassavetes as the as the conductor. Mm -hmm. That one's That's great. An, and, and he comes in and he touches that woman and she's like, "Oh my God, you made the hair on 
the back of my neck stand up? And he goes, that's sex. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. Uh, yeah. I, I, I read um I read a book on the production of Columbo where uh, they were detailing how Cassavetes and Falk were just both pains in the ass. Uh, by the time that Columbo did season two, because Falk had gone off and done a bunch of these Cassavetes movies and had so much like creative freedom as an actor. And then he goes and returns to procedural television where it's the exact opposite of that. And so all of a sudden, Falk wants to get in the editing room. He wants to start looking at the episodes before they come out. He He's acting more as like a director on these episodes than anything else. Well, and yeah. then you have Cassavetes come in kind of as a favor to Peter Falk because um, I think they were supposed to shoot another episode, and Cassavetes felt like he was slumming it at the time, sure. which he, he probably was. I mean, I think he did Rosemary's Baby like a year or two before. Mm-hmm. and um, It's weird to think of dozen. Don Cassavetes slumming it on network television like he was such a maverick mm-hmm. director, you know, that... You know what I mean? Like, it's not... he he. When you think about John Cassavetes now, you think of him as, like, this ultimate, like, indie filmmaker... But I mean, yeah, I mean, he had a lot of cachet, I guess, at, at that time because of the Rosemary's Baby, the Dirty yeah. Dozen. Where he started was procedural television. He did um, uh, yeah. like a piano playing detective or Johnny, something. Johnny, um, Johnny Staccato. Yeah. Somebody just sent me all the Johnny Staccato episodes. I can't wait to dive in. I've checked out a few uh, that were uploaded to YouTube because I think they're in the public domain now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's... That's just something you can check out anywhere. You can buy like a DVD box set from any any number of companies, and uh, it, you know it's it's not bad. I mean, all those '50s TV shows are in, in that kind of style are so interesting to watch because they're trying to figure out what the formula is. They haven't figured it out like they did by the 1960s or 70s. By the time you get either half hour increments or the 42 minute episodes of like Hawaii Five-0 and, and those types of shows. So you check out like the private investigator shows, detect, detective shows in the 1950s. They always run a little too long. Um, you know, they're kind of not sure if they want to be like more feature-esque or whatever. Right. You know, uh, we, you know even, some of the comedies even were weird. Like Hans had a recurring joke on another program we were doing about the Goldbergs being his favorite he thought it was about an Irish family, the sitcom yeah. The Goldbergs. But then we look into it, and there's an old sitcom called The Goldbergs, not the ABC sitcom that exists. And it's about a Jewish family in the 50s, and it's like 55-minute episodes. That's of the crazy. Goldbergs. Yeah, yeah. so uh, it's weird. It's, it's that early stage where they're still trying to yeah, get figure the out idea what television it. is, right? Yeah. Um, and um, Staccato's a bit like that. I see I see. Well, I'm I'm interested. Um, John, are, you, are you guys familiar with uh, Mrs. Columbo? Yeah, I've yeah. I've seen Miss Columbo. I've not seen it. No, oh, that's Miss not Columbo, canon. Listen, Miss Columbo dies in a future Columbo episode. Okay, and it's not. There's some things in Miss Columbo the spinoff, which I don't <laughs> think had the approval of. Was it Lincoln? Whatever the other guy's name is, I I don't know. That's not that's not real. Okay, it's fake. Right. Mrs. Columbo. Yes, my my favorite Columbo theory is that Miss Columbo doesn't exist. That she died, and Columbo just uses her as like a recurring tool yeah. to investigate prod people. You know, my wife my wife tells me that. Um, 
John Cassavetes was 5'7". Yes. He wore yeah. boots. He had a, I've, I've seen, um, so he would lie about his height, which is yeah. what I learned from a biography. He used to say he was 5'11", which is a great height to say you are if you're lying about your height. Um, yeah, that's what I'm going to start doing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Hans, too. Hans, you're 5'11", right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, Hans lies on four, IMDb like you... about being 6'4". <laughs> yeah, you did that. My sure girlfriend I gave did. me shit. She was like, why are you lying on the internet? I was like, I didn't edit that shit. I don't know. I've never been 6'4 in my life. Well, listen, if uh, you're taller than in the scenes we're together in Mass State Lottery, well, then that means I must be pretty tall, too, that's right? True. So yeah, you guys gotta make me, You guys got to make me look tall for my movie. Yeah. I'm going to give you lifts. Uh, that's one of the things that I like about Heat that Pacino doesn't wear his lifts, I guess, because he's just like a, a short guy and still like it still works. He doesn't need because he, he has enough personality where it's like, yeah, it's fine that he's a he's Pacino's a short taller king. than De Niro. Oh, is he? At least he is now. If you've seen the the Irishman photo, maybe maybe look, maybe they, you know, they it's been twenty five years. They always make De Niro look taller than he is because mm -hmm. Pacino's only five seven. Yeah, but he's my. He, I mean, I'm yeah. On the set of The Irishman, um, De Niro's wearing huge, thick lifts. And Pacino, yeah. I don't believe he is. Or his are not nearly as thick. There no, you go. So yeah, there you go. You well, I'm sending out, when I send out that. my headshots, when I send out my headshots, I'm, I'm, my, the copy is, do you want Vincent Clove at Al Pacino's height? <laughs> yeah, how could you not hire that? <laughs> <laughs> Um, regarding Casavetes, though, and his height, uh, he had a very unflattering body, especially by the time, um, he, well, in like the last six or seven years of his uh, life, when mm -hmm. he uh, developed um, cirrhosis of the liver. Because he was a huge, he, he was a, like an alcoholic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you there's there's a behind the scenes documentary. I think it's called I'm Almost Not Crazy from 1982 or 83. And it's on YouTube where they show him just kind of like pacing behind the scenes and he looks frail and tiny, but also has a massive gut, like just I a see. hard, big gut that doesn't go with the rest of his body. And it's from the alcoholism it's killing him. Jesus. So yeah. And, and there, there, you know, the behind the scenes on love streams is so interesting uh, in that I think maybe we talked about this recently on an episode, but it just all came back to mind again. Cause I was trying to acquire a song from, uh, his composer, Bo Harwood, I reached out to Bo Harwood. Turned out he was dead and rotting when I emailed. So, <laughs> I hate when that happens. Dude, that um, sucks. So I'm not going to get that song, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, but uh, on Mr. Love Streams. Is Mr. Harwood there? And then you just hear crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He learned as he was working on that film, after he had done it as a play with John Voight, who's in Heat, as the character that he would play in that film, he learned as they started shooting, like a week into shooting, uh, the doctor told him, yeah, you got a month and you're going to die. Now, that's not what happened. He wound up living like seven more years. The doctor didn't know a fucking thing. But he changed the entire movie to be like, this is the end of my life. This is going to be my goodbye to uh, my my." family my friends fans and then it ends on a very like somber kind of note that does feel like a goodbye and then 
he does this movie called Big Trouble immediately afterward as a again as a favor Peter Falk loves calling in favors to John Cassavetes because the director of that it was supposed to be like the in-laws two essentially with uh what was it Alan Arkin and Peter Falk uh like a screwball comedy the director had like a you don't yeah. know play the trailer since I, I think we've spoken about this a couple of times. And we yeah, I haven't seen any anything. footage from this movie before. Big Trouble. I just know the story about it. The director, I guess, had a breakdown or something and quit. And Peter Falk was like, I got to finish this movie. Can you come in and do it? And Cassavetes was like, yeah, fine. And that's his final film. It's some screwball comedy that doesn't feel like a Cassavetes movie. All right, play the trailer. Yeah. Wait, am I sharing an audio? You are not. Okay, give me one second because it's very goofy music. Sorry about that. Let me see. Uh... Big Trouble in Little Astoria. Yeah. <laughs> what do you get when you cross Peter Falk and Alan Arkin? Big Trouble. Leonard Hoffman was in insurance. Five of those papers for you? He made a little salary, had a little job, and came home every night to a little house and a little woman. Leonard, honey. Hmm. And Leonard had problems. I've been through this all night long. $14,000 a year. Multiply that by three. That's $42,000 a year tuition. They want $200,000 to send three kids to Yale for four years. Then one day he met an unusual couple. I gotta sell these Chinese to the hotel sheriff. Sell them. They don't speak English, but they're lovely. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> they okay. So oh, wow. in a week. Beverly D'Angelo. That's Pacino's ex-wife. Make a lot of money, Leonard. It's my mistake. I have something down Overnight, there was a big change in Yeah, this feels so odd as a Cassavetes movie. You know, it feels very Caddyshack 2. Yeah. Damn, Caddyshack 2. That's completely accurate. A big sweat. I didn't even hear make a sound. Oh, I did. It was kind of like a... Do you have any idea what the odds are of someone dying by falling off a train? Mm. Approximately a billion to one. No. Really? That guy's a great. Big mess. You're all under arrest. Peter Boyles. Look at that Irish guy. No, he's no. He's in big trouble. Shut up, I hate you! You see, that's just a time for killing! The same team that brought you the in-laws are back again. Peter Falk, Alan Arkin, Beverly D'Angelo, Charles Durning, Valerie Kirk. In big trouble. Who can function in this atmosphere? Good God. Produced and directed by John <laughs> Cassavetti. So he put his money into that, too, to see it through. What a good pal. Well, he really loved Peter Paul. Yeah. You know, Ben Gazzara directed an episode of uh, Columbo. Insane. Renaissance man. By the way, that Bizarre. episode of Colombo with William Chatner and his mustache is—it's an entirety uh, in its entirety on the Internet Archive. It's an hour and a half. Very good quality. If you want to check, yeah, it out. let's just watch that it's right now. Butterfly. It's called well, Butterfly in Shades of Gray. There's this um. The, so so I have this VHS of this movie Camp Nowhere. Um, is that a Disney like, movie? It it's not a Disney movie, but it was a kids movie. And it was basically a vehicle for Christopher Lloyd, and he's great in it. And um, and uh, it, it's basically about these kids who who trick or like blackmailed this former middle school teacher into pretending to be a camp counselor, so that they can go to this camp and just be totally in control. And it's got Andrew Keegan in it, and 
Um, anyway, but but I have the VHS and I've watched it a hundred times. And there's this trailer for this movie called Roommates, which was made around the same time, 1995, um, starring Peter Falk. And um, and he plays this old, this guy has to move in with his grandpa. This adult man has to become roommates with his grandpa. And he's like trying to fuck or whatever. And, and you know, Peter Falk is like, I didn't know that my house was a bordello. You know, like... <laughs> um, I've it's, never uh, heard of this film, I, but I've never seen the movie, but I've seen the trailer a hundred times, but it's good. It looks good. There he is. That's Peter Falk in the movie. They, they did him up like that. Holy I guess shit. So, I guess he wasn't old enough or. Oh, he looks like uh, when Jackass guys wear those old suits. Yeah. yeah. You know, my dick doesn't work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I'm gonna watch this movie. The trailer's excellent because it just has Peter Falk. It's one of those trailers where they like interview Peter Falk. He's like he he's just like sitting there. He's like the character of Rockies, you know. He's like talking about the character. Mm. Anyway, it's for this, I found it. It's for all it's the Peter Falk cells out there. Did you know his it? his film career is pretty strange, uh, especially as you get to like the last 20 every everything after Cassavetes dies is pretty peculiar or questionable didn't he do Corky Romano the Chris Kattan starring vehicle he, from 2001 bang on yeah I think so all right let's let's take a look at this TV trailer for roommates Hollywood pictures Wayne Avista company starring Peter Falk as a character who belongs in every family. The Rocky in a movie is based on a real guy. My grandson is moving in here with me. Papa, be reasonable. Is that a Culkin? And family got nothing to do with one another. Most people, you know, when they hit 85, somebody's holding their elbow, helping them up the stairs. But not Rocky. They're gonna come in here and get you. I just wouldn't want to be the first guy through the door. Will you just listen to me? I think they threw away the mold when they made Rocky. Did you have fun? We had Ratch, big Ratch. There was a profound attachment between the grandson and the grandfather. And when Michael had kids, he was there for his kids. I love you, Ratch. Oh, you're not too bad yourself. And when I came to a point, so heartwarming. He's the one guy you would always depend on. Family takes care of family. Roommates, rated PG, starts Friday, March third. Excellent. Peter Yates directed that. PG. Peter Yates did um, what was it? Breaking Away and um, Friends yeah. of Eddie Coyle, which I referenced earlier. George um, B. Higgins, Julianne Moore, Ellen Burstyn. Yeah. Damn, Ellen Burstyn. Are you excited? Ellen Burstyn's coming back to the Exorcist franchise finally after 55, 60, 70 years. That must be the bitch Peter Falk smashing in the movie. <laughs> um, I was gonna say. Uh, I understand the trailer now. I totally, I did. I, it didn't occur to me why they had Peter Falk in the interview chair. It's so that you know that Pete, that it's Peter Falk in yes. the fucking movie. Right. <laughs> uh, he looks tell more like Ed Asner in character yeah. or something. Wow, I had no idea he was. Uh, you know, he was into doing makeup kind of performances, doing the special effects. That's intriguing. I'm going to look into this movie and see if it's available somewhere. Um. All right, what more can we say about Heat, about yeah. Peter Falk, about Vincent Gale? Anything, everything. 
Why but have you watched anything? Have you watched anything good lately? Mm, well, you know what? I got to admit, I haven't been watching a whole hell of a lot of movies. I uh, and and I've I've referenced referenced this on my show a couple times now, but I went to the theaters, uh, at the Arizona Mills Mall, and mm. I saw Event Horizon on the big screen. What they were playing yeah. Event Horizon? Yeah, it was like a Halloween deal, hmm. and uh, man, I was I'd never seen it before. And uh, it was good. You know, well, I've I've never seen it before because I, I feel like that was during that time period where, you know, especially if you're a child, right? This is very child thinking. If there are two similar movies that are released at the same time or two similar of anything, you go with one and then you ignore the other completely. So I think that came out around the same time as like Armageddon. Mm. And Armageddon was the pick for me. Well, so I, I have think, never seen Event Horizon. Are you thinking of... um? Are you thinking of Deep Impact? Oh yeah, I might be thinking of Deep yeah. Impact. Cuz uh, cuz this movie's more like um it takes place on a spaceship and mm -hmm. Sam Neill is in it and Lawrence Fishburne and then all these really high quality like English people. Oh yeah, Paul W.S. Anderson did this movie, it, it, right? It's by Paul W.S. <laughs> Thomas Anderson mm -hmm. and um it's great. I I, I give it I, I I'm basically one of those people who's like I don't give movies like the star rating or whatever. I just like give it like the thumbs up or the thumbs down. This is a thumbs up for sure. And it was right before it was in the late 90s. And it was right before, well, really right around the time that they started like putting like electronic music in movies. Like you remember The Saint with Val Kilmer and it had oh, that yeah. and, and, and then and then The Matrix later. And, you know, um, there's a lot of electronic music in it, but um and Michael Kamen does the score, but he does it with like the Chemical Brothers or some shit oh, like wow. that. Mm -hmm. And um, it's pretty great. Um, I also saw, I also watched a couple of, because because I'm not really a horror movie guy at all. You know, like the cheesy horror, the 70s, the 80s, the slashers. I don't know much about that shit, but I wanted to investigate the Hollywood, Hollywood, Halloween franchise a little more. Mm -hmm. And I watched Halloween 2. And then I watched Halloween three, which I guess is like not even really canonically a Halloween movie. Like it's like a completely different movie, and it kind of I, I didn't like it that much. I wasn't my style. Oh, that's the nineteen eighty three audience brain. That's, yeah. yeah, people hate it. They they showed up to the theater like, what the fuck? Where's Michael? What yeah. is this? You know, it was I weird. like it. I I I think it's a creepy, but like not creepy as in the movies creepy, but just like creepy that someone would think up this idea. It's such like a crazy it. idea. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I love the main character is like just like an alcoholic doctor who like mm. is a ladies man. For yeah. some <laughs> <reason>. <laughs> um, which, you know, that's uh, pretty good. Lores, I got good news for your uh, VHS collecting. So oh, to find something on on eBay that you might be interested in. <laughs> because, uh, I, I'm not even going to lie to you. As soon as we watched that trailer, I was thinking, I wonder if I can get a videotape of it for under five bucks uh great i can't wait to go for it purchase my first uh what was it hollywood video i think it was the distributor film oh yeah they put out mario brothers super mario brothers 1993 oh, that's a good that's a banger that's a vhs classic gotta have that on vhs yeah. you know John i've got Leguizamo a pretty classic i've got a pretty significant uh vhs collection i threw a lot of mine out which i kind of regret because I thought this is over, 
and uh, into the garbage. And in actuality, I probably could have made a cool $7 off of every single one of those tapes if I just had an eBay store. So rats. Yeah, maybe that's, is that what I need to do for a living is sell videotapes for seven bucks a pop? <laughs> I mean, depending on how many tapes, it could be, it could be profitable i don't know listen i can't do the show fellas i'm moving tapes <laughs> <laughs> um regarding michael are Mann you guys are you guys excited about michael men's ferrari yeah yeah actually i i like the balls of him to do that after uh what was it they did the ferrari movie ford versus ferrari that he was a producer on he was going to direct it originally and he got caught up doing something else and he still produced it and i guess he was just like yeah not a fan of this. Uh, I'm gonna go do my own Ferrari movie, even though I, you know, I said you could do it, but uh, I'm gonna do it anyway. So nice. What uh, did he get caught up doing? Was he on on some kind of sex vacation in Thailand? Or <laughs> <laughs> I, I think so. I think that's um, what the word was. Yeah. Um. But uh. But so here was my here was my original impression of um what Heat Two was all about was just that they weren't he wasn't gonna even be able to make another movie. Mm. You know, and so he did it. It was a book. But I guess it just was something where he could. I don't know what what were his motivations for making a book. I'm not sure. Obviously, since uh, with Tokyo Vice, he didn't really have any involvement at all. Um, yeah, that was just more of a respectful title, uh, the executive producer title that he got on that. Uh, aside from directing the first episode, so I don't know. Black Hat came out in what 2016 or so, and Still seen it. I need to see it it's it was better than i expected and the director's cut is is pretty solid too there was a composite going around of um someone had workshopped it basically using the deleted scenes and certain scenes that were only included in a like a television cut of the movie and uh i, I don't know i thought the uh criticism it got was kind of a little over the top compared yeah. to what was actually in the movie there's haters dude around every fucking corner Big time haters. I think people um, just didn't want to go along with the idea of Chris Hemsworth as hacker guy. Yeah. You know? Giant been... muscular hacker. It's yeah. like, yeah, it was a lot of nerds were mad. Probably they were like, hey, look, you know, like don't our culture is not a costume. <laughs> um, OK, so so I want to I want to get your advice on something. Um, but I want to but I, but by way of asking you a question. Sure. Uh, have you ever have you ever watched anything by um, Jacques Rivette? I don't think so. Okay. Okay. So he made this um this uh, movie called Out One, which is like thirteen and a half hours. It was originally supposed to be on French television, but it got a really short, maybe like one two screening theatrical release back in the day. It's from the seventies, early seventies. And then later on, it kind of became this one of those like white whales of sin, you know, of cinephilia where, you know, nobody could see it for a long time. And then they um, then they released it and and, you know, the, it toured the country, you know, toured the country at like all the art houses and people would go and watch it. And like, I think they would watch it in like two days, you know, it would be like a two parter, you know. Yeah. And um, and it's this really freewheeling, kind of confusing, really playful plot about these two competing acting troops who, uh, you know, aren't doing much of anything really other than doing these like crazy like acting exercises and shit. 
and then they sudden and then suddenly this like kind of like this conspiracy emerges that may or may not be real about the 13. Well, anyway, it's one of Jacques Rivette is one of my favorite artists. And um, I want to do this like Rivettean um, web series um, behind my Patreon wall paywall, the Tales from the Mall. I want to like use that to put out this like maybe like 15 minute episodes each mm-hmm. about this guy who's um he's a director. He's like directing a play. And, you know, he's kind of a mess, um, you know, not a very serious person, but he's directing a play and 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 he but he's also like obsessed with women. And uh, and he keeps um, the play keeps getting sidetracked because he keeps adding more and more cast men- members to the play because he keeps finding new women that he kind of like gets obsessed with and he like mm-hmm. casts them. And and in the meantime, like the, the local reader, you know, like you guys have the village voice or whatever. Right. Uh, you know, the local reader in Phoenix or whatever is like me tooing him. And um, and I want to do it and I just want to do it on my iPhone. And I but I need somebody to help me with like just really simple the sound, you know, because the sound is on Sounds my boring. iPhone sucks. Yeah. But I don't know how to I don't want to deal with it, you know, but if I could just get a guy to help me with the sound like Craigslist would take care of the rest in terms of casting and all that what would you do <laughs> what? well what you do is first of all you got to get a separate device for the sound and i would yeah. recommend a i i have like a tascam like handheld recorder uh no, I, like... I, that that generally will pick up too much of the atmosphere too much of the environment that you're in mm-hmm. you want to get focused i would do lavaliers so if, if someone has like an iPhone or something, oftentimes what you can do, the voice memo app on any iPhone is a lot better than it probably deserves to be. And mm-hmm. you can you can get a good deal of clean audio from that. And if you have a lavalier that's plugged into an iPhone and you can detect that it's working correctly, we've done that before in the past. And that is a very cheap and efficient way of being able to do that and being able to sneak that. If you don't want to dish out like 70 bucks for a Zoom uh, like little microphone where you yeah, essentially but... are doing the same thing. Cause I mean, if, if I did the lavaliers, like then I, it could just be me essentially like, mm-hmm. you know, set the camera up on a tripod. Cause I want it to be like super simple, like three locations, maybe like one indoor, like one indoor location. That's like where the guy is producing his play, like a black box theater, you know, kind of setting it could, I mean, originally i thought it would just be my apartment but that's not going to work um because i live with my grandpa no 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 because (laughs) um but uh yeah i just want it to be like soup like super simple you know because i'm not a filmmaker really you know and i don't want to have to worry about it i just want it to be driven mostly just by the frame you know the plot and like the hot women that I get to be in. It. <laughs> uh, well, I think you do a very good job with the the bumpers for Tales from the Mall. You know, you say you're not a filmmaker, but those are some very entertaining, well edited uh, pieces. Do you like outsource that? Or... Well, you know that that okay, that was the product of a collaboration with this guy named Matt, mm-hmm. who uh, lives in New Hampshire, and he would just tell me what to do and how to shoot it, and then he would edit it real quick. But but he he was like, he would come up with these like really 
um, complex ideas that I would have to execute. And sometimes I'd be too scared to execute them. Like he would be like, okay, he's like, for this one, I want you to go to the mall. I want you to go, go in the mall and I want you to like scream, like I need pussy or what, you know, and I would be like, I, I don't know if I can do that. You go to this mall like three times a week. I don't know if you can really do that. <laughs> yeah. 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 And he would want me to like approach people and ask them to be in it. And it was, it was getting to be where I just, I kept having to tell him like, I can't, I'm sorry. And so lately the bumpers I've been doing, have just been me shoot, shooting it myself and mm. really simple st stand brackage stuff, you know, more like, you know, just kind of like avant-garde stuff, but the like mm. more story-driven stuff was really his, the product of big, he was, he's a really, in, he, he's in advertising, so he knows what like pops and what is good for short stuff. And, um, but I would have to edit this thing. I'm, I'm picturing editing myself. And, and so I have to keep it really simple, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I like the idea of it. I think that's, that's a very charming, uh, idea for a series thanks that i'd be interested in checking out and i will check out since i'm a patron I, I, of tales I, from I the hope Mall. it thank you and jay your patronage is like so important to me it, it keeps the lights on man and um <laughs> the uh more people should really be a patron of the show i feel like i feel like a lot what's of the link it's patreon.com slash tales from the mall and at five dollars you get access to an archive of you know, at this point, I think it's like 75 episodes. Yeah, you, you've you crushed the amount of like, ep like you, you started this, what, like late last year? This right? time last year. And you have about 85 episodes out or so. Yeah. You have done an insane amount of recording for this program. Well, you know what? I It's it's a compulsion at this point. Um, but, you know, interviews with the with great minds like um, like Jay, Corrales, um, Jaime Corrales, and um, mm -hmm. uh, who else? You know, just I mean, Max Thrax. Max Thrax. He's been on the show a couple times now. The Howling Mutant. Yeah. Um, Blauergeist. You know, just just all kinds of e girls have been on it, and uh, it's <laughs> it's it's basically a um, you know it's like Mark Marone, but for like Twitter personalities. That's a good way to advertise it. Now, have you ever considered opening a store at that mall called Tales from the Mall, and it's a pet store, and it's like dog and cat tales? That I, I've considered that. <laughs> <laughs> there is a pet store at the mall. It's called Animal Kingdom. You know, not every not every state has allows there to be like commercial pet stores anymore, hmm. especially at the mall. They do in Arizona. Um, it's kind of sad. Oh, oh, really? The, yeah, the animals don't seem happy. Dogs, I mean, dogs yeah. living in a fucking cage in the mall, and it's all dogs. It, it's all dogs. And yeah, they're probably animals. tormented, smelling Auntie Anne's pretzels just downstairs. Oh gosh, the, the, there's there's this part of the mall where there's the Animal Kingdom, there's this popcorn stand, and there's the hippie store with like all the like incense, and the smell just like meets at one point and it's like the worst smell in the world <laughs> yeah I, I i i can't imagine because i understand um going to the mall and just getting a weird whiff of different smells different you know it's like if there's a hot topic and a johnny rockets 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not good. And there's always a hot topic. Always. I don't know who's still shopping there, um, but good for them. I, I think it's people our age who are like, oh, I do. I want a My Chemical Romance shirt. Like that's it a um, Rick and Morty shirt and Rick yeah. and Morty poster. A baby Yoda hat with like the, <laughs> you know, the stoner hat with like the dangling, but it's baby Yoda. I don't know. Of course. <laughs> I have to get one of those. All right. Well, if you guys haven't already, go subscribe to Brendan's podcast, Tales from the Mall. Check out his Patreon and, uh, I look forward to everything you do, Brendan. You're a great creative mind. And thank you, um, thank you for coming on the show today and talking about heat. Thanks for having me. It's, it's such a pleasure. I love the show. My well, favorite podcast. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you. All right. Well, that has been movies for this week. Thank you for listening.